Today on the Toppy Show, the UAW strike begins. Vivek on building a wall tweet gets quite some traction. Budweiser Vintage ad is roasted. Disney may sell ABC. Dove Soap promotes quote-unquote fat liberation and hires a obese BLM activist. San Francisco temporarily cleans up crime for the Salesforce conference. Chuck Schumer calls Biden investigation a witch hunt. Oh, the hypocrisy is quite palatable. DeSantis ramps up the truck critique. Howard Schultz is leaving Starbucks. Johnson & Johnson changes their logo. Kendra Scott and Target strike a deal. Planet Fitness CEO steps down and the stock hits a 52-week low. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and service company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. We're also giving away a free flamethrower with every September purchase. Yes, you can mount it to an AR-15, also known as America's Rifle. Click the website to learn a little bit more, toppingtechnologies.com. Lastly, for the intro, trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, so you click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Howard Schultz leaving the Starbucks board, which is quite, quite a little disappointing. While I may not agree with, I would say, most of his political views, Howard Schultz is probably someone I, I do admire from an entrepreneurial standpoint. He bought Starbucks when they basically had, I think, one store, and he grew it exponentially to the, I was about to say, instead of business blunder, that would be the business brilliance of the coffee industry, and synonymous with the word coffee. Not only did he create it and build it up, but once he became CEO, or rather, more appropriately, he actually stepped down from leadership a couple years back, the company, of course, crumbled, and he had to be reinstated as CEO to fix it. So very similar to Papa John's, you see a lot of correlations where when this founder moves away, sometimes it's good for the company, but sometimes it can be detrimental. And in the case of Starbucks, he saved the company from the brink of basically going under. Quite an entrepreneurial feat, not just to build a business, but then rebuild it, when your predecessor messes it up. So it is sad to see that he's stepping away from the board. In terms of his overall accomplishments coming from nothing, he literally grew up in federally assisted houses with a single mom. Yet he worked like hell and built an empire. Perhaps one of the best examples of the American dream where literally if you just work and fight like hell, you'd be surprised what you could accomplish. But I digress partially. In terms of departure from the board directors, it looks like it will be part of a quote-unquote part of a planned transition and he will remain as a company as chairman emeritus and schultz advocated the chief executive officer role in march ending his i was going to say his third tenure as a ceo of starbucks and a lot of people are saying he's leaving because of the unionization efforts there's a lot of issues right now with starbucks some of the investors have been disappointed with the higher wages and the cost of the equipment and i would also I would also argue a lot of the, what's the nice way of saying mediocre talent they're hiring. There was a trend on the TikTok or one of the social media apps where you had grown adults, or maybe I think they were 18, but there was a, and it's even more pathetic, it was a man, well, I would say certainly not mentally a man, maybe a boy, but he was crying on the app, complaining about how complex the orders were when he was working as a Starbucks barista. He was complaining they had to work eight hours a day. How far our country has fallen is beyond me. 
perhaps this also appropriately should, appropriately should be put in the culture part of the podcast, but the barista was literally crying because of complex orders. Your only your job exists because of those complex orders. The, the profit margins on the, you know, was it the tall mocha crappafino Best Buy Banana Falcon coffee? The margins on that are much better than if you just go there and buy a soda can or just plain black coffee. That's how the company exists. It's because of high profit margins on the harder complex coffee slurs that they put together. And this person is crying because of it. How weak mentally and physically America has become is quite embarrassing. It'll be interesting to see he's stepping down. Part of me can't help but think perhaps it's nostalgia, but maybe he'll come back as CEO a fourth time. Because I can't help but think the trajectory of Starbucks, with the culture, with the competitive industry, with their increasing prices, I think maybe it's time for him to return sooner rather than later. But as I more often than not say, time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Johnson & Johnson changing their logo after the company has split. Now, they actually split, 136-year-old company, they split earlier this year, actually in August, due to a myriad of controversies, the, the number one being the baby powder, in which it actually caused cancer. Which again, I don't know why, I can't fathom a more useless product than disposable diapers and baby powder. It's ridiculous. And it's hilarious the same people who care about the environment will buy a truckload of disposable diapers which are terrible for landfills. I say a good retro, just get the cloth. But I know they never will because most of them are pure hypocrites. They don't really care about the environment. They just want to choose signal. But nevertheless, I digress. It looks like the maker of the Band-Aid, Tylenol, and other household parts, including the you know Johnson's baby powder, they'll now operate independently as a company known as Kenuve. K-E-N-V-U-E which is perhaps the most uninspiring name on the planet. I believe they actually had a contest or had some computer to pick it out. They couldn't have done something. You don't have to be a marketing major to just think, well, why don't we have two businesses, Johnson & Johnson Enterprise and Johnson Johnson Home? Again, I I took 18 seconds to think of that, but they they probably spent a disproportional amount of capital to have someone think of that new one. Ridiculous to say the least. Now you do have Johnson Johnson, the company that gets to keep it. They'll be known for working on the more higher margin products, such as the prescriptions, the medicines, and all the medical devices. But even with that company, they changed the font. Perhaps another sign of a lazy and inept culture, cursive is too hard for people these days. It's, it's too hard to learn. And Johnson Johnson, their signature, quite, quite literally, their signature logo was their signature. It was one of those brilliant things where sometimes there is a certain beauty and simplicity and it became ingrained in American culture. It's synonymous if you look at a Band-Aid or again, anything you go to the drugstore, if you're, if you're hurt, you'll see that cursive name. You even see it on the household cleaning products too. And I think they have one or two clean products, but I partially digress. They changed the logo from having this, you know, traditional time proven cursive font logo to now it's just box lettering. Again, something as uncreative as I could possibly think. They just changed the font a little bit to make it more boring so people don't, they can't put a modicum of thought into life. They just, they can't have cursive. They have to have the Danelian. Really? And it's also one of those things where you don't even have to know the whole alphabet in cursive to know their logo. It's not that complex. And I know cursive in terms of the daily usage of it, it might not be that practical, it's hardly used at all, but it was almost 
kind of like a classy thing, in my opinion, for the logo of Johnson & Johnson. And again, you've had it for years. You know how long it takes to build brand loyalty? Sometimes decades. And yet, they threw it all out to have now something that some people on the LinkedIn are comparing the new logo to a law firm because it's so unambiguous and boring. It's very basic. Will this hurt their sales? In the short term, probably not. But in terms of their brand awareness, which again, sometimes companies spend literally billions to make sure you remember the exact font and cursive of like the Coca-Cola logo. But when it comes to Johnson Johnson, I think it'll be a long-term deterioration on the brand. And again, they're breaking away. I don't know if the newer, they, they claim they're going after the Gen Z or the Gen XY, Beta, Feta. I don't know what they call them now these days, but they're trying to go after that target market. And I can't help but think, I mean, you don't always have to dumb it down for them. You could just keep the logo that's been around forever and they recognize it. But I moderately digress. Other interesting business use you have Kendra Scott and Target coming to team up together. Will this help with the Target boycott? Well, I don't think so. Probably not. Target actually was pretty infamous in terms of hiring a Satanist designer to actually have all the trans and pride clothing in the store. I don't mean this metaphorically or I'm not trying to be bombastic. The person is a self-described proud Satanist and they literally had a, an enamel pin. So nicer than the you know, standard paper pin, but an enamel pin. So it actually said Satan respects pronouns. And that literally had Satan on it. So not the best marketing decision. They obviously alienated a huge swath of their customers and the target boycott began. Now they're trying to figure out how do we get more people in here? And I'm trying to figure out why does my, why, uh, why does the focus not always focus autofocus? And I appreciate your patience as we're trying to make the show better and better together. Comments always appreciated. Trying to find a better software. We also include picture in picture for in production. So let me know if you have any suggestions and I appreciate your patience, make the show better together. Now, in terms of Kendra Scott, Target said many issues. Another issue that they've had in addition to the boycott is the amount of things they're buying that are not perishable are declining precipitously. Now, when I say that, I mean, the number of things that people are buying that are discretionary items is decreasing. You should just call it frivolous because you don't need most of it. You're buying basically disposable furniture and clothing. Everyone knows a good man just buys one suit and makes it last forever. But if you prefer quantity over quantity, or rather quantity over quality, Target more often than not can accommodate your needs. Now, the issue is this, every grocery store has a 2% profit margin on average, also known as being highly risky and highly volatile. So that's why you have many stores like Walmart as well as Target where they have knickknacks as well or discretionary items. Now, the idea is partnering with Kendra Scott, who's one of the most famous and I would say accomplished designers. Granted, I'm no fashion guru, but I do sit up. She's actually from the best state in the union, Texas, headquartered in Austin. So some people might say diet Texas, but nevertheless, a debate for another time. Her brand is worth a billion dollars and she's still independent, oddly enough, which is a rare thing in and of itself, since a lot of these luxury fashion brands, they're owned by big parent companies. Now, it looks like Target signed a long-term partnership with Kendra Scott that'll give the Target brand at Whole Stores an exclusive line of products from them right ahead of the holiday season. Now, this is especially important because there are people who worship Kendra Scott and they're very much fans of her designs and everything she makes. 
Now, these exclusivity contracts literally give them a reason to go to the store when no other store can carry it. It's one of the best ways I believe retail can really emphasize the need to go to their stores. Everyone has to have, by default, well, as you say, maybe not all stores, most stores you already have, the basics are, you know, great customer service, have a clean store, but giving them extra reason, such as an exclusivity contract with a manufacturer, that gets people in the door. I know people who have not gone to Best Buy for eight plus years. They went there, was it two or three years ago? Because they had an exclusive agreement with Logitech for a silver mechanical keyboard. You could buy the black mechanical keyboard online, but Best Buy was the exclusive distributor or seller of that limited edition keyboard. So if you wanted a mechanical keyboard with a silver backdrop and white lights, you had to go to a Best Buy, which is brilliant because it got people in the store. Now, very similarly, Target is gonna to try to replicate that business use case with this agreement. Now, it looks like the Kendra Scott at Target collection will begin appearing in stores in October 22nd, so right around the corner, relatively speaking. And it looks like the line will start with more than 200 products and will be updated quarterly and prices will start at $15 with most pieces being priced under 40. So pretty good. Again, it's one of those things where you're not gonna sell you know $1,000 necklaces, I wouldn't think, at Target, or as the cliche white women say, Target, Rich. I had asked my sister for that one. I'm like, what on earth is that? Oh, that, that's how you pronounce it. Okay. But a phenomenon, nevertheless. This, I think, will help Target out. There are people still boycotting the Target because of their morally vacuous decisions to have all these controversial products. And then, of course, they actually insulted people on the left where they moved the products to the back of the store. So, again, someone at Bud Light, they managed to piss off both sides of the political aisle, which used to be a rare endeavor. It used to actually, it's almost like a talent at being bad to piss off kind of like a comedian where they could, it's a joke, if you're a good comedian, you could piss off everyone, which I think is true for comedy. You want to have, you want to be, you want to be equal with your jokes with everyone. But in terms of a retailer or a business doing that, that's not prudent to say the least. And I guess at the end of the day, this question will be, will this help with their, with their spending? Will it get people to spend more than the standard groceries they're buying? Granted, I would say going grocery shopping at Target is already a frivolous luxury that no one needs. Because again, it's pretty much all the same stuff with just higher markups. But that's just my three cents. Used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation, gotta say that's my three cents. Should be four, but I'm a generous man, three cents. But still free to click that subscribe button. Other interesting business use, you have Planet Fitness stock dropping to a 52 week low after they all of a sudden the board ousted the CEO, which no one really saw coming. So the CEO is a gentleman by the name of Chris Rondell. Now, in terms of my appreciation for a grind and good work ethic, it sounds like he was the embodiment of it. So it looks like he was a longtime veteran in the company, working his way up from the front desk reception position nearly 30 years ago at the gym's first location over in Dover, New Hampshire, when it was owned by the founders, Michael and Mark Grondley. And then he became CEO in 2013 when previously, right before that, he was a chief operating officer. So in terms of people saying the American dream is dead or hard work doesn't work, yet another example, if you work like hell, you can go far in life. And that's awesome. That's the American dream, climbing the corporate ladder. And it's one of those things where the company wasn't doing great, fiscally speaking, but it kind of came out of nowhere. The Q2 results were actually a little bit better than before. So in terms of the actual Q2 results, and it looks like the stock overall wasn't great, but it looks like they said immediately, immediately, and this is you know from Planet Fitness itself, they're gonna start searching for your new chief 
both internally and externally, and they claim that Craig Benson, who is the former New Hampshire governor and member of the company's board, will be the interim CEO, and he is also a franchisee of both Planet Fitness and Dunkin' Donuts, and has been on board for six years. Which is one of those funny things where people joke it's not really a fitness company, it's a kind of, they, they recycle you, get, they get you overweight, then they get you in shape a little bit, and they get you over. It's one of those weird things where they have pizza at Planet Fitness and junk food. And they don't want you to work hard. I can't help but notice you get banned if you actually accidentally drop weights or if you actually like struggle like you're supposed to do. If you actually push yourself at Planet Fitness, you'll get kicked out. So I would say people who actually take their health seriously have a pejorative view of Planet Fitness. It's really not meant for being getting you in shape. It's almost like more of a social club. Because again, if you really push yourself as you should, and I believe everyone should be working like hell, not just physically, but mentally, really push yourself to the limit, they get angry. And there's whole video compilations on YouTube where someone will accidentally drop a weight and they'll, it's like a BS alarm that they'll sound. And it, apparently an employee can click it at any time too. So if you're just grunting too loud or anything, again, I'm not saying you should be screaming like a banshee or I was gonna say what's a good screaming uh, musician that they all sound the same. They shouldn't be screaming like, a good musician escapes me because they're so rare. Yep, can't think of one. Well, granted, it's not my genre anyway, but it's one of those things where if you really push yourself, you should be making some noises. But that's not what Planet Fitness wants. Now, in terms of the company stock, it looks like the stock is down about 34% this year. So definitely not good. Some might speculate that you could have seen this coming. But again, it looks like Q2 did a little bit better, but perhaps the improvements just weren't quick enough. Now, it looks like their current market cap is still around $4.47 billion. So, quite a bit of money in that brand. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to recover and where the business direction goes from here. But, again, they probably ostracize people who are, like, into fitness. And I guess they're pejoratively called the muscle heads in some cases. But, they, for a while, they found their rudimentary target market. And, again, for a first step, if you're just trying to get into fitness, you've never lifted a weight before, you've never run before, I think it could be very beneficial. And that's been their niche for quite some time. But again, it's also frustrating if you're on you know, a business trip or anything, you try to go there, you can't really push yourself. But that, that's, just, that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but four-year hyperinflation is terrible. Now going over to the culture part of the podcast, you have Budweiser having a vintage ad on the Twitter or X and no one believes him. Actually, Rich Mooney wins the comment section. And yes, it's ridiculous. So it was a... In terms of the graphic that they put up, it was actually pretty good. It was a, and again, if you're watching the highlight of this, you'll of course see it in a thumbnail, but it was literally just an old school ad. I wish they would actually tell you the decade. I would guess maybe the 80s or 90s, where it was just literally just a guy reaching for a Budweiser in a can of, or presumably some ice apparatus, and it just says, this Bud's for you. Which again, before they had their terrible marketing business plan of the century, that would be a good ad. It's supposed to be, I'm actually, nowadays, I'm actually, no one said this in the comments, but to make the ad more relevant to today, they should probably, even though it's a man's hand, they should probably add some uh, nail polish in all the colors, maybe give them a tattoo for a social organization. But that's, you know, just me. Now, in terms of the analytics behind it, and again, these are all, Stats taken from the same time. Within one day, the picture only got a pathetic 14.4 thousand views. That's it. And again, 
if you work together, maybe this will get more views than that. But it's one of those things where if you're a global brand as old as time, you should be able to get more than 14,400 views. That's, that's nothing for a big global brand. And of that, I don't know, maybe these are the remaining employees at Budweiser, but they got 181 likes. 181? Now, that does actually give them an okay ratio at 1.26%, but only 181 people liked that Budweiser tweet or post or X, whatever you want to call it these days. That's terrible to say the least. Now, the top comments, they were all rich. So, Rich, buddy, you win hands down. Now, the first comment is Rich Mooney saying, quote, that ad from the past makes me thirsty from a Bud Light from the past, unquote. Not the beer in the present. They will serve the side of woke politics, unquote. Accurate and funny. Now, he says or that rather got 127 views and eight likes, giving a ratio of 6.3%. And I know public schools are all-time low these days for every category, including math, history, and science. So we'll do a little math. 6.3% is greater than 1.26%. Greater than meaning it's bigger. I've now accomplished more than some public schools in the United States, which is quite pathetic. But I'm here for fun facts as well. We can work on that. Now, another one of the top comments, again, from Rich Mooney saying, quote, what you'll see instead is Americans tired of woke multinational corporations trying to force their woke values on our nation, unquote. He got 165 views and 10 likes, coming in at a ratio of 6.06%. And lastly, you have his standard poll asking people, what you gonna drink today? So he says, quote, too bad we don't have the Anheuser-Busch of old anymore. Now you're a woke Belgian-owned company that doesn't know its customers. It's time to address the marketing fiasco directly with us rather than hoping commercials will do it, unquote. He got 333 views and two hearts, and then in that tweet, he has the poll asking, what would you buy today? Anheuser-Busch InBev or not Anheuser-Busch InBev beer? And it came in at 78.9% saying no Anheuser-Busch InBev for me. Now, interestingly enough, that is lower than usual. It's usually in the 91 to 97% range. However, they've also been censoring more and more and more and blocking people more and more and more. In fact, they blocked my personal Twitter at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G when I just responded to Bud Light saying, when they said, oh yeah, it's time to buy Bud Light. I said, oh yeah, thanks for the reminder. I'll just bought some, I'll buy some Yaneling for the interview podcast. And I had the picture of Yaneling and Yaneling Light. Don't criticize it too much. I think Yaneling Light is pretty darn good. Gotta watch the figure. But it's one of those things where Bud Light banned me for that, or they blocked me for that. Do you have the audacity to suggest someone to buy a superior product? Again, I don't know Yaneling, just a fan. They're still family owned after all these years. They're all this brutal in the United States. That's pretty good because, again, all the brands we see at the grocery store, besides Yangling, they were at one time family-owned. But mostly I digress on that note. But in terms of social media and Budweiser, yep, it looks like the outlook for them is still mm, not so good. Other interesting cultural news, you have Disney might be selling to ABC, or more accurately, they might be selling ABC. Now, it looks like they, again, this is according to uh, Bloomberg, where someone was, of course, anonymous. And it, they, uh, quote, held exploratory talks about selling ABC network and TV stations to Nexstar Media. Now, Nexstar Media is actually headquartered in the greatest state in the union, TXS. And they're one of the largest broadcasting companies that are so proudly owned to this. Or no, actually, they're publicly traded, I digress. Now, it looks like, of course, neither Nexstar nor Disney 
have publicly commented on the report. However, a couple months ago, Bob Iger did publicly say he doesn't think ABC and the TV networks may be core to their business. Kind of reading between the lines, or rather just straight up in those lines. Granted, I don't know how much you can trust them these days, but it seems like they may be serious about getting rid of that. And it's one of those things where this would help them get smaller to perhaps be acquired by Apple. That's a big speculation that's been around for years. And it's not the worst idea. Disney is, in terms of their management and their talent, they seem to be talentless. People say, my production is bad. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Watch a Disney film these days. They lost about, what was it? What was it? 10, 12? A couple, no, no $2 billion on films this year? $2 billion. That's terrible. And it's partially because they're drunk with power, perhaps. The cost to make these films go up every single year. It's gotten to the point where the only way they can possibly make a profit is to have billions of box office sales and toy sales. But unfortunately, when you see the box office numbers, the financials are even worse than you think because that's not all going to Disney. That's also going to the theaters like AMC and Cinemark. It's a revenue share. So even when you see the sales figures, oh yeah, this movie made $400 million. Well, that's how much was at the box office. That's split. And of course, whatever it costs to make the movie, usually on average, industry averages to double that for the advertising budget. So again, it gets, the cost gets so astronomical, it's almost inconceivable for them to make a profit. So maybe it is time to just sell most of their assets to some company that has a modicum of business acumen. Let me know in the comments, do you think that'd be a good business sale? Spin off the TV channels that really are legacy channels and don't really, the amount of cable is decreasing every single year and it would give them some quick cash that they desperately need. And maybe, maybe they can make Disney Plus, their streaming platform, profitable. It's still not yet, but this would help with that goal if they still want to go down that road. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here, though. Other interesting cultural news. You have Dove Soap promoting fat liberation, quote-unquote, and hiring a morbidly obese woman who is also a BLM activist and apparently a serial liar who got people fired. Now, this person is by the name of Ziana Bryant. Bryant? Z-Y-A-H-N-A? Ziana? Byrant, B-R-Y-A-N-T. And this person was hired directly by Dove to promote fat liberation. American values, both mentally and physical, seem to be, I was about to say, down the sewer, down the drain. Perhaps a more appropriate metaphor would be, mm, down the Bud Light drain. Now, it looks like Ziana, this is a woman, of course, because it's fascinating enough. Everyone has this, these, they have fat pride, but not for men. Because, of course, no one should have fat pride to begin with. But it is hilarious. It's a, it's a one group that they don't, they kind of just push it aside. But another topic for another time. Now, it looks like Ziana Brandt was a community, community organizer and student activist studying at the University of Virginia. And it looks like she actually has a video, and thank God you can't see this because I want to say it'll break. What is it? It takes up the whole screen. Jeez. But let me see here. View on Instagram. Oh, it's gonna be painful. Cause she has, of course, she has a speech. Oh, let's see here. Where's the volume for Instagram? 
Technology's great when it works. Well, let's see. Miss Ziana. Oh, here it is. All right, so she is cool. She couldn't fit in a smart car. Let's just say that. Or a Hummer, but. Bring the voices and experiences of the most marginalized people and communities at all times. So when I think about what fat liberation looks like to me, it looks like centering the voices and the experiences of those who live in and who maneuver through spaces and institutions in a fat body. It did she make a pun on herself? It's hard to maneuver. I mean, physically, yes, of course, it is difficult, perhaps why you should adjust your caloric intake. And I should make a caveat. It is sad because some people do have medical issues. Some people do the to their gene. There's a many myriad of reasons why someone may be overweight. And some of it is because of prescription drugs, because of the side effects, metabolism. There are some things where it is sad because some people cannot. But we have this more and more in the United States where they are glorifying voluntary overweight and obesiteness and overall laziness, which I find morally abhorrent and disgusting. So just a little caveat, perhaps to beat the comment section, time shall tell. It looks like making accessible spaces and having conversations. Accessible, that is difficult because you have to reinforce the floors and some of those floors are only rated for 10,000 pounds. So it's, it's an engineering, I was about to say nightmare, it's an engineering phenomenon. It'll keep those gentlemen busy are aware of the fact that people have different bodies and that they are interacting with space and people and institutions and communities in a different way. Fat liberation looks like fully embracing those differences and having those conversations instead of shying away from them. To learn more about fat liberation and the campaign for size freedom that Dove is supporting, visit dove.com forward slash size freedom. Tap in, join the campaign, support the campaign. This is important and we should all be talking about it. No, no to, no to everything. Now, selfishly, in terms of why would Dove want this? Well, I have my conspiracy theories, although perhaps it's just a fact that'll be let known tomorrow. Dove is owned by Unilever, one of the largest multinational companies on the planet. Dove would benefit in many ways with actually actively encouraging people to work out less, eat copious amounts of food. Unilever owns many ice cream brands. So they're selling a lot of ice cream, a lot of fatty foods. And they also sell soap. So what if we could win on both ends of the political aisle? Let's get a lot of people eating these fatty foods. And then with the soap, there's a lot of surface area to work with. You're going to need a high volume, not 12, maybe 11 and a half dove bars for that surface area to cover it appropriately. So it would improve, it will improve their sales if it works. But there's also a boycott dove trending on the Twitter. Because again, from a society and cultural perspective, I believe we should be encouraging everyone to be the best they can be. Read a book, go to the gym, eat a salad, get a good blender. I always, again, my three cents of my personal health, even working 105 hours a week, I still exercise every day. I make time for it. And I also have a nice blender where if I have vegetables, throw it in the blender, blend it up, drink it. Less than two minutes. It's all about choices. And we used to actually, in the United States, encourage people to make healthy choices, to work harder, to work like hell, climb the corporate ladder, be the best you can possibly be mentally and physically. Everyone can improve, including myself, of course. 
Just look at the comments of these in the YouTube videos. You'll hear half of them talking about how I can't talk, which it has some truth to it, of course, since I usually struggle with enunciation, I speak too quick, but it is something I actually work on literally on a daily basis. And if there weren't more truth in the world, I would never know that. If everyone were to lie and just say, oh yeah, you sound perfect, the show would never get better. Very similar in this instance, I believe the truth is always better than the lie. So you should not tell them that, yes, you're beautiful. You look great just the way you are. Have no hamburger or milkshake. Let them know the ugly truth because otherwise they'll never improve their life. You're, ro you're literally robbing them of opportunity to improve themselves. And it's one of those things where I encourage harsh critique, both in my business and my YouTube show, because as much as it may hurt, it's how you grow. It's how you develop. And thanks to the comments, at least let me know, I've had some improvement on speaking slower and more articulate, and I've had to put a lot of effort into that. So it is fascinating to see from a cultural perspective, we are just more and more and more acquiescing to the ever-growing trend of mediocrity. And again, I'll make that caveat for the second time. It is sad some people do have inherited medical issues where they will be overweight. I'm not saying this doesn't exist. I'm making the argument that many, if not a majority of the cases, is voluntary. It's because of circumstances that they are choosing. And I'll actually cut off the one thing in terms of someone's going to complain about, it costs a lot of money to eat healthy. No, it doesn't. When I first started my business, I lived below the poverty line. I would buy a two bag pound of carrots from Walmart for, I think it was $1.99. You could buy affordable, raw, healthy food. It might not be convenient because you have to prepare it at home and it doesn't come pre-packaged, which yeah, pre-packaged is very expensive. And food on the go, yes, that's difficult to find food on the go that's healthy at an affordable price. But if you work, again, it's all about choices. I woke up extra early, I would prepare my food myself. So again, you are in control. But that's the last self-motivation we'll do for the time being. In terms of getting back to Brianna, there's a, or Byron, there's a lot of content on here. And it looks like, oh my gosh, my eyes hurt. At age 12, she organized her first demonstration, a rally for Trayvon Martin during an unarmed, during that controversy. Byron 22. She went on to organize the Black Student Union at her high school, joined the Charlotte Youth Council. So she is, again, some, I'm not saying all of these act, political activities are bad. I think it's, in terms of a campaign for a brand, you're choosing someone who is politically driven, which that in and of itself is a risk as well. But then it looks like, I'm trying to see the article evidence in which, there's someone saying that she actually lied and got someone in a lot of trouble, unfortunately. Oh yeah, there's bettering, do, 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 do. Bettering. Ah, uh, here we go. Let's see here, a truck driver. Um, looks like, let's see here. Here we go. So a counter protester by the name of oh, Heather, Heather Heyer, 32, was deliberately run over and killed. Oh, it's life of murder, declared, could reveal. 
in July 2020. Better. Who is... I'm trying to find the person's whole name. So it looks like in 2020, amid the George Floyd protest, uh, putting on the framing of, you know, every website's a little bit different. Some call it a protest, some call it a riot. Fascinating framing how it works. Now it says, in July 2020, amid the George Floyd protest, better Bedinger mistakenly drove into a street where protesters gathered. As she tried to get away, her car was encircled. Now, Bedinger said that she told a truck driver who was in front of her and blocking the way, it's a good thing you're here because otherwise these people might have been speed bumps. Byron tweeted that Bedinger had said the protesters would have, quote, made good speed bumps. So, literally lying about what she said. It looks like Bedinger was quickly identified and the, with the revelation that she was pro-police and with a late father who worked for a police force, there were more outrage about, around her critics. It looks like Byron and others called for severe punishment and expulsion from the W or the UVA. Because she said, it's a good thing you're here, otherwise they would have been speed bumps. You want her to be expelled with that. They literally, literally lied about what she said. Now it looks like Byron then embarked on an email campaign to have her expelled, tweeting, quote, email these UVA deans now demand that Morgan face consequences for her actions and the UVA stop graduating racist? Another common thing you'll see, again, where was any evidence of racism? It seems to be a hobby for some folks to just make it all up because they know society will frown about it, as they should. Racism is ugly and disgusting. It's morally abhorrent. But it's also been used so often, and now that it's been used as a political bludgeon so often, you see, in this case, they're using it, and there wasn't any real racism that is evident. With the evidence we have all right here, I'm not seeing it. Now, Byron was mistake, subsequently shunned at college, and even stalked from her hometown, making her fear of safety. UVA's Judiciary Committee later found Bettinger guilty of making a legitimate threat, despite being unable to prove Byron's claim about her intentions. Its jurors told her that even saying the words in a harmless manner during an anti-racism protest of the summer of 2020 merited punishment. Byron also filed a complaint with the school's Office for Equal Opportunity and Civil Rights, where the student activist blamed Bettinger and made the statement five, five times, made the statement five times, and had discriminated against Byron on the basis of race. EOCR found that three of the five accusations could not be corroborated, and Byron herself later admitted she may have misheard. So Byron, the giant new spokesperson for Dove, later claims, oh yeah, she may have misheard it. May have misheard it. Oh, interesting. Now, most damningly, the, the report, which was brought forth because of Byron's complaint, found Byron was most likely, most likely did not hear Byroniger making the comment firsthand. No eyewitnesses were able to corroborate Byron's version of the events. Continuing saying, quote, based on Byron's immediate and surprising tone following the second and third party's reply, EOCR finds it more likely than not that it was at that moment Byron's first learned that Benjamin made a statement about protesters making speed bumps report. And so the Judiciary Committee ruling is still noted on her permanent record, ruining the graduates' chances of going to law school. Benjamin is considering a lawsuit. Yes. So they found someone who is ugly, not just on the outside, but on the inside with her morals, which I was always someone who was of the opinion that you judge a man by his actions and his morals. I can't consider a worse spokesman than this person who literally lied to try to get someone expelled. 
it's hard to say what I find more moral, more abor what's more abhorrent, physically or mentally, trying to destroy someone's life in college, and now that person might not ever be able to middle school school. Again, I'm trying to work on the enunciation more and more, slowly but surely getting there. As a side note, but it is ridiculous that they hire this person as spokesman. And perhaps it's part of the plan. They want us lazy, unintelligent, big, so we can't fight back. I don't know. It is interesting to see, why do you think Dove chose this person to be their brand ambassador for fat liberation? Is it to boost their sales of ice cream? Which again, the parent company owns both. Is it just the new trend in social media? But thankfully there are still some folks who have a modicum of intelligence and boycott Dove was trending on the Twitter or known as X. So it looks like I may not be alone in that opinion. And I certainly hope people at home hear this and they just, again, everyone can be better. Take extra little step today. Literally just take an extra step walking somewhere. It's fascinating to see how things can improve in the aggregate when you just do a little bit more every single day, which I believe everyone is capable of, including and especially myself, specifically for the show, trying to slow down my speech patterns and of course, enunciate. And someday it will be much better. I'll be able to pontificate much more accurately and appreciate your patience as again, try to make the show better together. Other interesting cultural news, you have San Francisco actually cleans up, but only for Salesforce. Now, it is fascinating to see the cultural decay of San Francisco. People thought it was morally abhorrent decades ago, true, but it's gotten so bad, every single conceivable business seems to be leaving that area. The one business I've heard in the past 24 months opening up a store there was Ikea. And presumably it's because the people who arrive are too lazy to assemble the furniture, I would think. Only 82%, oh, I know, I'm uh, maybe 63% joking, but, it's one of those instances where I report on it. Usually once a week, a business is leaving. Headquarters are also relocating out of California because of the crime. The retail is so, the retail theft is so bad in San Francisco, they are losing money left and right. I suspect there, you thought the exodus was bad last year. I can't help but think it's gonna get worse. Cause again, every single day, there's more theft, more drug use, more homelessness. A huge cultural decay, but it's what they want. They consistently vote for the same exact people to do the same exact thing. The homeless industry is a thing. People getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to attempt to solve a problem but never really solve the problem. Partially, I suspect, because if they solve the problem, their job would go away, which is also why I'm a little skeptical when it comes to pretty much many charities where they actually don't accomplish the goals they set out to. Another topic for another time, perhaps. Now, San Francisco is famous I said, what are they famous for? In terms of good things. Mm -hmm. uh, they have the hills. Uh, Full House, I think that, that show is there. Um, yeah, let's just say the list is getting shorter and shorter. But it is headquartered to the largest, most successful CRM company on the planet, Salesforce. And that would be a software in which it helps you keep track of your customer data. For example, pretty much every industry ha is using it. But for my tech company, let's say I have a business that I'm working with and they have multiple projects. Well, then I could enter that project in there, enter all of them in there and keep track of them, adding notes, changing the day, the sales cycle. There are many upsides to using that technology. It is an expensive premium tool. Salesforce is not cheap, but it is enterprise grade and businesses love it. 
It does what it does quite well. However, being headquartered there, they've had a lot of issues throughout the years because, of course, the city's going to hell handbasket. Now, the CEO, Mark Bainoff, actually said San Francisco was, quote, shiny and safe, which when was the last time anyone heard that about San Francisco? And this is, of course, after he pressured the city to clean their shit up, so to say, before the event. And, of course, I think it's called, it's actually called Dreamforce, which, eh, B minus for marketing. Kind of sounds cool. Dreamforce being, you know, you come there. Every tech company has this. It's one of those events where all the customers there, all the prospective clients come. You learn about the technologies, their updates, how they're helping similar businesses. It's a very common thing in the tech industry, especially. Now, he'd been threatening to move it away from the city. So the city actually did something. I was surprised. So they looks like temporarily they were able to clean up the city and maybe sweep the syringes under the homeless folks and maybe put that extra tent on top. So they were able to do it temporarily. Now this is in the light of most tech companies leaving, not just moving their headquarters, but moving their conferences. So you had Google recently concern, uh, confirming that they moved their Cloud Next event to Las Vegas. And you have Meta and IBM and Red Hat, they all canceled or moved their events, which subsequently were going to be headquartered or taking place in San Francisco, which again is another nail in the coffin for their economy. There's a lot of benefits to having these events there. You're having people not just fly in for the hotels, you have all the bars, all the restaurants. There's a lot of benefits to having that type of relationship with these businesses and having that type of commerce come to your city. So it's fascinating to see they were able to do it temporarily and he's threatened the city before, but he's also a very proud San Franciscan. Of all the companies that I think will stay there indefinitely, I think Salesforce is going to be there for a while. It'll be interesting to, yeah, it will be interesting to see, does he run for office? I mean, granted, he's very busy being the CEO of Salesforce, but how are they going to fix the city? I mean, he was able to clean it up for a temporary time being. But again, this is also coming from the state where they're voting. And again, we'll have a article about this later. They actually are proposing a law that would stop businesses or retailers from attempting to stop thieves, thereby giving more power to the lawlessness and creating more chaos. So will they be able to turn out around anytime soon? Let me know in the comments, would you go visit San Francisco for tech conference or any type of conference these days? Or just based on safety alone, would you abdicate from that idea and go somewhere else? I'd be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have the UAW officially striking against the big three. So United Auto Workers, they are at strike against the big three of Detroit, which used to actually be the pinnacle of automotive technologies as well as products. The big three being General Motors, you have Ford and Chrysler. Now, unfortunately, in part due to, you know, not just economic, eh, I was going to say economic, not very damages of 2008 we had the recession that was partially caused by the government telling the banks to give out loans to anyone for houses but it was partially due to their high overhead cost it was so bad that actually gm went bankrupt again and chrysler went bankrupt and was subsequently sold to a european company so it used to be fiat now it's a big parent company it's also known as stellantis which i keep saying maybe a b b plus for marketing it sounds kind of cool it's certainly unique for the automotive community, I think. Now, interestingly enough, this is after they were demanding $80 billion 
per manufacturer for the four-year cycle of the contract. Now, perhaps this was just like Trump's the art of the deal. You want to, you know, I ask for it all and I get a little, me, 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 me. we'll meet in the middle, perhaps. But you have to negotiate the art of the deal. Yeah, that was, yeah, that, that was pretty bad, I'm not going to lie. But the attempt was made. Was it the worst impression ever? Let me know in the comments. I'd be fast. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see what you have to say. Now, again, that would have cost them $80 billion per manufacturer. So that'd be quite a lot over the course of four years. And that's because they have 10 specific demands. Some of the most outrageous ones being 40 to 46% increase in wages in a time where most businesses are laying people off. They also wanted a have, they want a 32 hour work week, but paid for a 40 hour. They want pensions. They want increased medical care and increased benefits for retirees. They want many things, some of which I believe did contribute to the bankruptcies in 2009 of GM and Chrysler and brought forward to their needs. Now, the argument is when the businesses rose to the ashes because of bankruptcy, the unions gave up a couple of those benefits because they knew they were all screwed. So now they want them back because I believe in the short term, they're seeing short-term profits from the big three. True. Now, my question is, how much are you taking away from business transformations? All these companies are trying to go to EVs. I don't think that's the prudent business idea, but that's what the government's forcing them to do, and that's what they are doing. So partially because they want to, partially because the government's forcing them to. That's going to basically turn these companies from automotive companies into technology companies, thereby needing a whole different set of infrastructure as well as skill set. Skill set. Enunciation is rough, but again, trying as well as they're going to need a whole new factory. There's going to be a lot of changes needed if they want to foolishly compete against Tesla. Again, I don't think that's a prudent idea. I think everyone is going to make less money, especially in the short term, not just the unions, but the businesses and the shareholders. But nevertheless, getting back to this actual strike, this will be, the union has about 150,000 members between the three automotive companies and the strike is going to be a walk-off. It'll consist starting with 13,000 people or UAW members walking off site. Now, interestingly enough, this is the first time in 88 years you've seen a consecutive strike where it's not just one company. So usually these contracts are, you know, they go back and forth, but usually at the final hour, they'll be accepted by both parties and maybe one of the big three won't accept it and they'll, you know, they'll walk off, they'll strike for a little bit, but they're striking everywhere. So GM, Ford, and Chrysler. So the first time in 88 years, I can't, can't help but reminisce, was there another automotive change in that time period 88 years ago? It seems to be another pivotal moment in the automotive community where they're leaning more in this whole new EV direction. Now, in terms of concessions, the only ones I've seen from the UAW thus far, and again, it's a very fluid situation. You have things changing on an hourly basis. The biggest concession I saw was just moving down from, okay, instead of 40% raise, we'll only take uh, only 36%. Now, granted, that is over the four-year term of the contract. But again, this is at a time when most businesses are laying people off. Most of them are taking pay cuts and they're already paid more than the industry average, like Toyota and Honda, who make infinitely more reliable products and also sometimes at a cheaper price point. So that's, again, not helping them be competitive. Now, it looks like specifically workers at Ford Motor Company's Bronco plant in Michigan Stellantis Jeep factory in Ohio and General Motors plant in Missouri are being instructed to leave their post in a series of sporadic walkouts at additional auto factories. Now, in terms of they can keep this going for a while. The UAW, perhaps this is why they're 
subsequently paid so much money. And ironically, GM is paying, you know, all these companies are paying them even more money to create more problems in terms of, they have an $825 million strike fund. That's almost a billion dollars that they can use just for these strikes. That's a lot of money. I'm actually surprised there's anything left after they donate everything to the politicians. Another story for another time. But it looks like those who walk away on strike will be paid $500 per week, which, dude, that's a, that's a pretty good paycheck right there. And of course, now I'm kind of curious. They're 52 weeks in a year. Eh, it's not too bad. That'd be, if they were to strike a whole year, they'd make 26 grand. Now, in terms of feedback from manufacturers, and I'll probably host some full videos later, you have from Jim Farley saying, quote, and he's the CEO of Ford. No relation to Chris Farley. Pun kind of intended there. Now, he said, quote, I think they're preparing for a historic strike with all three companies, unquote. And yes, I do agree with that. It's, they're all working very hand in step, so to say. And I think they're going to want the world. Will The real debate will be what will they get that won't cripple the companies if they want jobs in the future. Now, he went on to say, quote, with their initial hour, it was going to cost us about per worker, $300,000 each to work four days. Now, that actually is an underestimate. Now, I used numbers that were given to me by people in the comments and people that give me feedback based on the number of UAW employees. Now, we'll do a bit of math here. Again, the first offer that the UAW came to, they had those 10 offers that would cost, again, this was third-party analysts saying that would cost each manufacturer $80 billion over the course of four years. So if you have $80 billion, you got three, you got the big three, four GM Chrysler, four year contract. And according to multiple websites, there are 146,000 UAW members. So the total cost would be $240 billion, again, because 80 billion for the big three. So that means every year, the yearly cost would be 60 billion per year. Now 60 billion per year divided by 146,000 UAW members is $410,958.91 per worker. In any way, does that seem conceivable fiscally? No, of course not. Absolutely not. Some people, and I actually did hear this in comments before, said, well, that money also goes to retirees. Again, that's not conceivable in the automotive market right now. It's no one else is doing it. And again, everyone is struggling and they're taking all their profits to try to put into this new business idea of EVs. Again, I think the best thing for the unions and the automotive companies for the United States companies would be to keep their niche of making great V8s, make the trucks, they're really good at that, make the Corvette, well, they turn into an EV, so I was about to say they're really good at that, and even the internal combustion engine only has two pedals, also known as an automatic transmission, so perhaps not the best example of doing something good, but there are some vehicles they do excel at, and they could improve throughout the years and make better as well as more profitable. Now, it looks like in terms of feedback from Mary Barrow, she says, quote, We've been at the table since July 18th. And she initially said, and she initially received over 1,000 demands from the labor group. And she says, quote, we have a historic offer on the table and we're at the table right now, ready to keep going, unquote. And again, it's fascinating in the comments where people say she makes $28 million. That's her total comp package. And what I care about is what's going to, what's going to impact the cost of the vehicle, the shareholder and employees. Well, that's about $2 million. So that's her base salary, $2 million. And she has benefits, which, 
Okay, let's count that benefits. I don't know what the quantum, maybe another 200 grand for healthcare benefits or dental, but the rest is stock, which again, most companies have discounted stock. That's not gonna cost as much, if anything at all. So again, I did a little math. If she were to make $0, she gave up her $2 million salary that people in the comments think is way too expensive for CEO. Well, everyone would make about $14 more because I think GM has about 160,000 employees, give or take. $14? Again, that, they wouldn't even get to keep that $14 because the union would take some of it for dues because they got to pay for politicians. And then the government would take about you know 30 to 40%, which again, vote for someone else. Granted, my three cents, there shouldn't be an income tax in the United States. That, that's a very new thing relative to the United States. It was only started during World War II. Another example of was supposed to be a temporary tax and never got rid of. Another topic for another time, I digress. Now, in terms of the feedback from Stellantis, which again, Stellantis is a parent company that owns Chrysler, which as well, they also own Dodge and Jeep. Really wish they bring back the Viper. Now, Stellantis said, quote, we are extremely disappointed by the UAW's leadership, refusal to engage in respo responsible manner. Sorry, enunciation. I know, I'm trying more and more. If only they made, I don't know, maybe, I'll, maybe there's some exercise I'll try. Who knows? I'll look into it. Now, Stellantis said, quote, extremely disappointed by the UAW's leaders' refusal to engage in a reasonable manner to reach a fair agreement in the best interest of the employees, their families, and our customers. We immediately put the company in contingency mode and will take all the appropriate structural decisions to protect our North American operations with the company, unquote. So it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. Again, the UAW has $825 million in cash lying around that they can use for the strike. I think the CEO of Ford is right. I think it's going to be a long strike. It's going to be a historic one. It may or may, maybe it will break them in terms of they'll break the big three, or maybe it will break the UAW. It is seemingly more and more a pivotal moment in the automotive community. And again, you look at what they're trying to do. They're trying to cut costs trying to reinvest all those profits. GM still has a long-term debt too that no one wants to talk about. There's a lot of things going on. And with the global economy, with Tesla, Tesla's beating them in so many ways, it's not even funny. Although perhaps not in driving experience because the best experience always has three pedals, also known as manual transmission. But Tesla doesn't have a dealership sale route. That's costing money. So when a customer looks at, hey, what's that car cost compared to a Tesla, Tesla gets to rip off that cost. That's not there. That's a big issue. Dealerships marks, dealership doing absorbent markups, having the Corvette cost over a hundred grand. That's disgusting. That's ridiculous. Again, but that's also a precarious situation. They have contracts with the parent companies, GM, Ford, all have you. So they can't break those contracts in the short term. I don't know when they come up for renewal, but that's an issue with the cost driving everything up. You also have the cost of labor. Pretty much every other company has cheaper labor, making a more reliable product. Which again, I know part of that because of the cost of materials, cost of the parts, part of the, the way they, just the way they engineer it. But again, that's another issue. Cheaper, more economic labor in Tesla, which they actually give their employees stock. Again, if the, I, don't, I don't think it'll work, but I think you should reward employees for being invested in the company. I think a good, idea would be to give them stock, give them more of an invested, give the, the man on the assembly line, if he wants, give him an opportunity to buy stock at a discount or give him stock bonuses. Give them a direct incentive to work harder to get a better product off the line. I think that would make a lot of people happy. 
Now, other people might say, well, not everyone, want, not everyone wants to play the stock market. Maybe they just want to get paid more and more based on tenure, which I think that's kind of methodology with a lot of unions. But I'm trying to think of, let me know in the comments, is there a win-win in the situation? Because that's what everyone is going to try to come to an agreement on. And right now, they're so far apart. I can't help but think Sean Fain, the president of the UAW, he's doing this on purpose. That Their asks were so big, I don't see a conceivable coming together moment in the short term. I think it's going to drag out as long as possible. GM, Chrysler, Slantis will probably hire some Band-Aids, which are pejoratively called scabs when people go to work for them and they're not part of the union. But they're so far apart. I'm thinking that this will last at least a couple months. And again, right now it's only a specific, couple of specific factories, but when will, it, when will it become more widespread? Also, does it really matter? In terms of the climate right now, dealerships have plenty of inventory. People are buying cars less and less, partially because the interest rates are jacked up, partially because their government chose to print more money than it's ever been made before. But right now you have high interest rates, a precarious economy, 40-year hyperinflation. People are uncertain what's going to happen in the economy tomorrow, yet alone two weeks from now. People are worried they're going to lose their jobs. A lot of businesses, most of them, are cutting costs by getting rid of some employees. So is there really that much of demand for new cars right now? If they go on strike, will, will management care? Because again, the demand is so little, they're not really losing a lot of money right now. So that's another reason why the strike might go even longer because right now, again, I know it will fiscally hurt the big three, but it's not going to hurt them as much as if it was peak production time and people are buying cars left and right. Then the, the UAW have more negotiating power. So let me know in the comments. What do you think would be a good middle ground for their ask, for their want? Do you think they'll ever get... Is it intentionally asking for the move? You know, the Trump or the deal asked for a lot, you'll negotiate some in the middle. Although I don't think that's the case because at the final hour on Thursday, when the contract expired, they didn't accept it. So it'll be interesting to see what the feedback is and if they can come to an agreement. And let me know in the comments, what would, the, what would be something UAW would accept as an offer from the big three? Because again, they're asking for, you know, 10 specific things. Do they want all 10? Because again, about 400, what was it? 400, the cost would be $410,958.91 per employee, which again, isn't conceivable. I think, I can't, my theory right now with the information I have, I think Sean Fain knows that. He knows it's a very pivotal moment in the automotive community. And I think maybe, I mean, he has the support. The UAW voted unanimously in the 99 plus percent that they want to strike, maybe that's why you didn't adjust the offer to something that they would accept. Let me know in the comments. I'd be fascinated to see what you have to say, especially love hearing experiences for people working the front lines and working in the office. The more data, the better. And I'd be, I'm fascinated to hear all the stories and I appreciate it. And will it be, it'll be interesting to see. Let me know. Do you think, what do you think will happen? I'm, I'm pessimistic, but I'm thinking it's going to be at least four or five months strike. It might end tomorrow. Who knows? But with the data we have right now, it seems like it's going to be a long one. Now, other interesting political news. You have Vivek Ramaswamy, although personally I prefer his rap term or rap name from college, Davek. His tweet on building a wall went pretty viral. Now, in six hours, looks like he got 269.3 thousand likes and 1,711 likes. I misspoke. He got a lot of views. 
Now, it looks like that ratio comes in at 0.63%, so not the best ratio. And when I pull up what he actually said, it looks like he was responding to a tweet from Mr. Bill Melugin. So this is from Bill. This is the thing that Vivek was responding to. And I appreciate people in the comments helping with the pronunciation as well. Now, Bill Mulligan said, quote, new per CBP reports yesterday alone, but Border Patrol apprehended over 7,400 illegal immigrants at the southern border. And when combined with CBP ports of entry, there were 9,100 migrants encounters in just one day. I'm told CBP released 5,000 plus yesterday with a notice to appear as this is as of this morning. CBP had over 21,000 people in custody. So basically just giving them a receipt saying, oh yeah, come uh, come see the court this day, which of course, the, it does not happen. I, I would guess not even happen 1%, which is ridiculous. Now, Vivek's response was, quote, build the wall and finish the wall aren't enough. When they're building truck with tunnels underneath that wall to drive the invasion across our border, if we can use our military to secure against an invasion of someone else's border halfway around the world, we can legally use our own military to secure our own southern border. This isn't controversial, unquote. Now, fascinatingly enough, it looks like the statistics doubled for the likes and the, the views. But it's also one of those things where in my lifetime, that is interesting. We've never, as far as I can tell, we've never used the U.S. military to defend our own borders. We are very active at defending other countries' borders. We seems to be our main hobby. But let me know in the comments, and again, maybe I'm just forgetting sometime, but no one's ever brave enough to say we need to put American troops on the border and guard ourselves from the goddamn Canadians. They pretend to be nice, but we all know they're just sitting there. Almost too nice. Although, I kid, they're actually tyrants. They don't let their civilians defend themselves. Trudeau actually said you do not have the right to defend yourself with a firearm. They're a country where you're forced to be a victim, disgustingly enough. And I've been the morally repugnant on many, many issues. Another topic from another time. But in all seriousness, it looks like the responses, the top one was from someone by the name of Brian Escau saying, quote, Vivek said it first. That's why I'm supporting Vivek, unquote. And he got 1,260 views and 35 likes. So not the greatest number of likes, but coming in at a good ratio at 2.78%. Pretty good. You also have someone with a, looks like Joseph Jargon. I take what he said seriously, but I'm pretty sure it's just Jargon. Ah, that was a joke. Now he says, quote, no war with the cartels, 110% hell yes to protecting our southern border with our military, unquote. Now he got 793 views and 16 likes, which, eh, 2.02% ratio. And let me know in the comments, would it be helpful to give some backstory to the individuals, you can usually guess their political affiliations or extra data if you just look at their profile or you can't kind of tell by the comments, but let me know if that'd be interesting, more data to cover as well. Now, interestingly enough, he says, no war with the cartels, but protect our border. Inevitably, that will mean a war with the cartels, which I would argue that's a, a war worth having. They're actually invading parts of California, which again, that doesn't take much effort because it's California, but they're actually taking over farms killing farmers so they can grow illegal substances here. And oddly enough, or not, it should be all too unsurprising, you don't see that on the mainstream news. It should be something we should all be uniting on because, again, Americans are dying and 
literally cartels are coming over. But for some stupid reason, this is a politically divisive issue and frankly has been since I was a kid. Ridiculous. And I'm not saying we don't need to streamline immigration, but everyone should have an equal opportunity to enter the land of the mostly free. And no, I did not. My family did not swim here. We did actually come out on a plane, interestingly enough, one of the last planes before Fidel took over Cuba. But another story for another time. You also have someone respond saying, literally someone. Their profile name is someone, which, yeah, kind of funny name. So someone said, quote, the border security is so complex, different perspective exists on how to be best address it, unquote. Now, he only got one like, and, and but his response got 34. Now, the response was search for meeting, which you can only guess what they're searching for. It says, quote, I'm not getting your point here. He didn't, or didn't he just propose a lawful solution? Do you think that won't work? Unquote. Now, that person, again, subsequently got 1,826 views and 34 likes, coming in at 1.86%. So, not too shabby. So, it's interesting to see, and the political adversaries, everyone who's vying to become the Republican nominee for the president, I haven't seen them address this issue. In fact, you're seeing the Republicans fracture on a couple topics and a couple things more and more. In this case, as far as I know, this is one of the first people to bring it up. You do have, some might call them diet Democrats, but, well, there's a lot of rhinos out there too, pejoratively, someone who is a Republican in name only. It'll be interesting to see, do other candidates bring up this topic and what is their solution for addressing this topic? It'll be interesting to see, but in terms of moves on the political chessboard, I think this will resonate with people who are more and more realizing that there's a real threat at the border in addition to the economic ramifications. So it'll be interesting to see, but I, I think it will more help his campaign than have a negative impact. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, got to charge three. Should charge four, but I'm a really generous man that could sometimes enunciate, sometimes not so much. But I do appreciate you taking time to click that subscribe button. Other interesting political news, you have Chuck Schumer calling Biden's impeachment a witch hunt. The ultimate hypocrisy. Oh, you can't make this up. Perhaps we do live in a simulation. Good old good old Chuck Schumer. The same, the same politicians who said, oh yeah, we won't be a sanctuary city. Like Mr. Eric Adams of New York. Oh yeah, we, we won't be a sanctuary city. Send them all here. And then when they had resource allocation issues because so many people went there, now he's calling for the border to be closed. Of course, no one's calling him racist, of course, because he's on the Democrat side of the political aisle. So they're above critique in many news outlets. Just as I was about to say, Republicans are above critique, perhaps only on Fox News, but let's be honest, how many people watch them? 32 people left, maybe? Well, wait, wait, 31 people will watch Fox News. I, I'm sad to say Gwen is gone, or a funny name for an old person, I forget. Ruth, Ruth, unfortunately, baby Ruth is gone. But I digress. So we'll hear Chuck actually from lines or what's another word? What's a a jackal from the jackal's mouth? Perhaps that's the most appropriate term. I think the impeachment inquiry is absurd. The American people want us to do something that will make their lives better. But then why are you sending all the money to Ukraine? Well, when was the last time you actually focused on people's lives? Not go off on these chases and. Uh, witch hunts. The bottom line is, as we have said, you can only accomplish 
keeping the government open in a bipartisan way. This is also the first time you'll hear them in months saying that word bipartisan. I have sympathy with Speaker McCarthy. He's in a difficult position. But sometimes you've got to tell these people who are way off the deep end, who have no interest in helping the American people, who just want to pursue their own witch hunts, that they can't go forward with it. So I'm disappointed. I think it's absurd. But we are not going to let it stop us here in the Senate from keeping the government open and working in a bipartisan way. Wow. Hypocrisy is quite unpalatable, of course. But all too accurate. Oh, uh, good old pop-ups. Now, if you actually look at the statistics of the video, it was interesting. So on this news outlet, again, I apologize, I actually forgot to give them a shout-out. So this particular YouTube channel is by the name, oh, it's good old The Washington Post. An interesting, perhaps it's just their audience of, you know, what they want to see in terms of content. Someone who has 2.19 million subscribers, The Washington Post, they got a mere... 4,500 views, which to me would be great. I greatly appreciate, you know, we get those types of views here. That'd be awesome. But the Washington Post, perhaps it's because the people who follow that company, they just want to critique one side of the aisle. But I partially digress. They got 4,800 likes on YouTube, or rather views. They got 48 likes. And of course, they hide the down vote because YouTube likes to be morally abhorrent as well as murky, the opposite of transparent. That comes at a ratio of 1.06%. Not good, to say the least. Now, interestingly enough, the top comments, you have some by the name of DM Cortez saying, quote, as the great Nancy Plotz say once said, the president will have the opportunity to prove his innocence, unquote. <laughs> Burn. That comes in at 16 likes. So pretty good. You have some by the name of Eck, E-A-C, 8498. That is a very, very inspirational name. Now, in all seriousness, this individual, their response comment was, quote, wasn't absurd when they spent four years going after Trump, unquote. Precisely right. And that person got 64 likes. Although I would argue there's actually evidence in this case of multiple wrongdoings. Will they have to be held accountable? I'm pessimistic, but time shall tell. You also have someone by the name of Ernesto D saying, quote, Joe thinks impeachment is a jar of jelly, unquote. Pretty good, they got 44 likes. Now, somebody by the name of Paul Byron, 1359, says, quote, the reasons for the impeachment in this case are completely valid, unquote. And they got 35 likes. So, interestingly enough, a video published by a very partisan news outlet got, got a consensus of most of the comments actually agreeing that the impeachment search is valid. Now, in terms of, will there be any teeth to this bite the Republicans are currently trying to have? Well, that's the issue. They didn't take a vote to actually do this, which they previously critiqued the Democrats for doing the same thing. But in this case, let's say they do find all the evidence, or more, more appropriately, they find more evidence to bring to light. Are enough Republicans going to vote in the House to actually get something done? And even if they do, will the Senate vote to do something? Probably not, because it's become a very partisan issue, even if they see clear wrongdoings of a crime, Democrats aren't going to vote for an impeachment. They are very strategic on the chessboard. Their pieces all move as a monolith. Some might call that because some might say, you know, similar to brainless drones or orcs in Lord of the Rings. Or is it Star Trek? 
I partially kid, but they do not deviate from the group. Republicans are a lot of rhinos, also known as pejoratively as Republican in name only. They switch sides all the time. So in this case, I don't think anything will actually come from it. Even though main people will say the evidence is right there, I don't think they have the votes. And they certainly don't have the votes in the Senate because the Democrats are not going to flip, no matter what. Let me know in the comments, do you think they have the votes, not just in the House, but do they actually have the votes to impeach in the Senate? Would anyone flip? That's what I'd be, I'd be fascinating to see. But of course, as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to another political news, you have DeSantis ramping up the Trump critique. Interesting. He may move away some votes from Chris Christie. Now, he has this quick little video up here on the little DeSantis war room. And it looks like they actually have some text in front of it. So the DeSantis war room says, quote, DeSantis on Trump failing to acknowledge any mistakes made during COVID. He seems to be saying he would have done the same thing all over again. With, I guess they're quoting DeSantis in their quote, quote, with me as president, if we get, if we have the, is he saying the same thing? I think they just transcribed the video, which is lazy. What? You're going to have to be able. Uh... You're going to have to be able. I guess maybe it is different, so I'll, I'll read it out loud. Quote, with me as president, if you, if we have these circumstances, you're going to have people like Florida Surgeon General and Dr. Bajari. I'm going to listen to the people that got it right, but we would never repeat mistakes of the past. I think one difference between how he and I look at things, he really likes polls. He really cares about the polls. He wants to know what he's doing and is popular in the moment. He's obsessed with polling data. I don't give a rip about the polls. When I was making decisions about Florida, particularly at the front end of COVID, I was getting hammered. My public polling was going down, but at the end of the day, a leader's got to stand up and do what's right, unquote. Now, interestingly enough, on just a quick observational note here, it's hilarious. He says, oh yeah, yeah. he only does things by the polls. I don't need the polls. Marty, where we're going, we don't need any polls. I don't even know if you actually get the movie reference. Now, I would believe him more if he didn't acquiesce so much during the GOP debate previously. I think one of the most infamous moments from the debate is when the Fox anchors actually asked them, would you pardon Trump? Vivek actually raised his hand immediately without having to look around for any consensus or any peer pressure. DeSantis waited quite a bit, and you could see him looking around to see what his competitors were doing before he acquiesced and uh, he, he almost regrettably raised his hand. That sounds more, and again, that's an instance in time, very quick, you know, stir the moment. It seems like he's a follower, not a leader. And again, maybe that question, everyone should have known that question was going to come. It's a very, everyone is asking that same question on many news outlets. So they should have been prepared for that question. And either he wasn't prepared or more accurately, I think he was surveying the room to see what the temperature and what the most popular opinion would be. Let me know in the comments if maybe I'm reading too, maybe I'm reading too into, into that instance. But I think that is a good representation, which to me shows you probably do care about the polls. But let's listen to his little video that he has here. And say all you want about DeSantis, at least he has the courtesy to suit up, as all men should. Unlike Fetterman, who wears gym shorts to our public offices, which, don't get me started on that fashion faux pas. Again, I'm not no fashion leader, but I know when to suit up. Which, if you're a man, it'd be not always, but nearly always.
to make to make course corrections. And so to not acknowledge any of that, uh, you know, I, I think is a real question mark about uh, if he could ever get elected again going forward. And I have my doubts about that. Uh, if this these set of circumstances were presented to him, he seems to be saying he would do the same thing all over again. And here's the thing, Steve, we have and I'm the only candidate, I think, that will say this clearly. You know, if we go back to March of 2020, knowing what we know now, we should not have done the Trump Fauci lockdown policies. They were harmful. They were destructive. They didn't they didn't work. They should not have spent four point five trillion dollars throughout 2020 with CARES Act one and two. That set the stage for the inflation that paid people not to work that underwrote the blue state lockdowns. Knowing what we know now, we should not have done it. The U.S. government handled it wrong. That's just the fact. So you know with me as president, uh, if we have these set of circumstances, you're going to have people around me like Latipo, Bhattacharya. I'm going to listen to the people that got it right. Uh, but we would never uh, repeat the mistakes of the past. And I think, you know, with, with Donald Trump, I think he, he thinks that those were the right policies. Now, he, he acts like he had no agency over the policies at the same time. But if he's in the same situation, what we do, I think he'd do it. I think one difference between how he and I look at things, he really likes polls. He really cares about polls. He wants to know what he's doing is popular in the moment, uh, and he's obsessed with polling data. I don't give a rip about the polls. Uh, when I was making decisions in Florida, particularly on the front end of COVID, I was getting hammered. Uh, my public polling was going down. But at the end of the day, a leader's got to stand up and do what's right. I cared more about protecting the jobs of the people I represented than I did about protecting my own political hide. So at least he's quite articulate in what he was trying to say. People in the comments would probably insist, perhaps I could learn a thing or two? Perhaps. Perhaps. Although I try to be a little more human and relatable than DeSantis, granted that bar is seemingly precipitously low. Now, in terms of the feedback, and again, he had some good points. I think a lot, I think more people than not would agree the United States should not have locked down and do many of the actions that they acquiesced to do during the peak of the pandemic. It was certainly terrible for the economy and Yes, we printed so more money was printed than ever before, which causes terrible inflation, which again is why we had to jack up the interest rates to solve the problem. I say we. That's why the government had to raise the interest rates to solve the problem that the government created. Though you could probably argue people voted for that, so although I didn't, so hmm. now in terms of the feedback directly in the comments and the analytics of the video, it looks like within what was this? Uh that was actually within four hours. Let's see, video got 20,500 views and 656 likes. So, so in this instances where it's not a lot of views, but what's that ratio coming in at for the likes? Well, what's the calculator? Let's see here. So that's 656 likes and 20,500 views. That actually comes in at well, pretty good, 3.2%. So in terms of like ratio, that is one of the most popular things DeSantis has posted. Or I guess more accurately in this case, it's the DeSantis War Room, but it's him speaking and says association. Now, it looks like some of the top responses came from, one is Banana Republic, which these days is most certainly someone headquartered in the United States. Now, this person said, quote, 
There's no better candidate than this man here, and it's not even close. There hasn't been someone with competent running in a long time. We are witnessing a rising star, unquote. And I actually did read that properly. The person's grammar was not on point, unfortunately. Now, this person got 99 views and 8 likes. So, not a lot of likes, but that's a phenomenal ratio. 8.08 ratio? That's phenomenal. Now, you also have someone by the name of Unfiltered Boss saying, quote, DeSantis is dropping truth bombs, unquote. Getting 231 views and 17 likes. Even better. But the ratio went down a little bit to 7.36%. I also have someone by the name of David saying, quote, Says the man that locked down Florida, the federal government did not shut down anything they can't. Federal government put out guidelines for to follow for governors. DeSantis followed them to a T, but didn't have to, unquote. Now that person got 99 views and four likes. So, not the best, but coming in at a ratio of 4.04%. So, still a pretty good ratio overall. But, yes, that is something that I think a lot of people are going to point out. He did shut down. It, again, they opened, They were, I would argue, one of the quickest, quickest, if not the quickest, to open. Uh, granted, there's some areas that never really did lock down to begin with. But, they're one of the quickest to reopen. And, it'll be interesting to see, does this message resonate? It seems like towards the beginning, DeSantis was much more, more neutral towards Trump. And he, he slowly started to more and more and more address it specifically and started to do more direct comparisons and start to politically attack him. Which I think in the beginning, perhaps he was just he was worried about offending Trump fans and people who would vote for Trump. Because depending on how the Trump circumstances go with I mean, we'll call it political witch hunt or political prosecution or persecution, if he's in jail or if he's disqual- if he's taken off the ballot, there's a lot of uncertainty, which again, people might in and of itself call it election rigging. But if someone can't vote for Trump, and but you're insulted by DeSantis, then you might vote for the competition for the presidential primary or even the general election. You might even switch parties for the general election, depending on who is nominated. Now, this political strategy, I think, is prudent because he's going to take votes away from Chris Christie. Chris Christie's whole shtick, his whole message is, I'm not Trump, I hate Trump, Trump bad. Which actually, that is perhaps more articulate and intelligent than anything Chris Christie has said. Moderate burn. Though, it wouldn't hurt too much, there's a lot of service area there. But it's one of those instances where that's been his political messaging, and it's gotten Chris Christie on these debate stages. It's actually helped him gather those votes, because there are people in the Republican Party who will never vote for Trump. I think they're pejoratively known as Never Trumpers. Or maybe they prefer that title, but that's a group of voters that you can gather if you have that messaging. And maybe this will help DeSantis move some of those towards the direction, as DeSantis is trying to close that gap between him and Trump in all these preliminary primary polls. And he wants to get the nominee. And of course, the primary voting is going to determine that. So it'll be interesting. Let me know in the comments overall will this be a net positive for DeSantis? Is this a good move on the political chessboard? Or might this shoot DeSantis, might he be shooting himself in the foot and maybe he'll get less voters for him or will it decrease the number of people who would likely be able to vote for him because they don't appreciate what they perceive as a tax on him. It'll be interesting to see how he does as the next polls come out, but as I say, time shall tell. Now going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Waterbees recalled. Unfortunately, because a infant has passed away. 
Now it looks like a 10 month old had deceased after ingesting water beads from a brand by the name of Chuckle and Roar Ultimate Beads. And this looks like it's an activity kit by Buffalo Games. Now, it's one of those weird phenomenons where they look like plastic beads, you add water and they expand and people used to use them for planting or apparently some games. And of course, it's very sad. I would also ask what the ever living hell were the parents doing? Always something to be concerned about. Now, it's, it looks like they were sold at Target stores via online the website from March 2022 and November 2022 for $15. And they've been recalled with customers who are eligible for a refund. Now, granted, I don't think this, although it sounds like it's dangerous for some kids, I, I don't think it's a severe recall in the fact that it does not inherently harm someone, if that makes sense. It's one of those instances where it's improperly used and it is greatly, deeply unfortunate. Now, when asked for comment, they said, quote, if a water bead is ingested, it expands and can pose ingestion, choking, and intestinal choking hazards in the child's body, resulting in severe discomfort, vomiting, dehydration, and risk of death to the child. Now, this is according to the commission in a news release. They also said that the water beads were typically made of super absorbent polymers, a synthetic substance that can grow to the size of a marble or even a tennis ball. So they vary in sizes and they, it looks like they grow exponentially or they can grow quite large. And it's quite sad to have such, that there had to be, that it didn't have to be. It's quite sad that there was a recall that involves the passing of a child, obviously. And hopefully this recall reaches all the parents and they are able to take it away from the children appropriately. And it's one of those issues where it's also very risky making child choice for this inherent issue where some of them can be used improperly and it'd be deadly. So I really hope that no one else is affected by this product in a negative manner. And the news of the recall gets to all the parents who have children who are obviously too young to use this product. But yeah, to be a child toy company and unfortunately make something for a child that they, takes them from the planet as as morally abhorrent is it's heart wrenching and I, I really hope it does not happen again, of course, but that has to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Again, I know Sam Biss is trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. So if you can click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also the comments help the channel grow and develop. All the critique is greatly appreciated as I try to do everything from enunciate more, slowing down my voice and still searching for better software so we can do the picture in picture with the video. I tried another one, but I don't know it's because of my newer 4K camera, it keeps crashing. So if you have suggestions, I would greatly appreciate them. And of course, don't forget to take the time to like the video because that helps with the algorithm and gives me feedback on if I need to maybe do something a little bit better. And also, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.